The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So I thought um, maybe the first thing to do would just be to check in a little if people wanted to ask any questions, clarify any of the meditation instructions, or anything that came up during the sit that um, was challenging or something you learned. It just, I find really interesting to hear kind of a report from the mind in that moment-to-moment way that's really rare um, to get that from from each other. So anyone feel like sharing a report or have a question? Sharon. I appreciated the reminder, Gabe, about you don't have to rush into meditation. And the way you reminded me to... um, to settle the mind rather than charging forward and trying to find a gap. Mm. So thank you. Thanks, Sharon. Well, I want to ask a question that I've never asked out loud, but has been an experience I've had repeatedly over the last, just the last few years. I have more images that come, oh, I'm sorry. I have more images that come up when I'm meditating than I do words. And I just wonder what that's about. Do you, do you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a di- different part of the brain is being activated, mm-hmm. but it never used to be that way. Oh, so it's changed for you. Yeah, just the last couple years. And I wonder if other people have visual images that could just kind of float by, weird ones, <laughs> n- uh, crazy ones, normal ones. I, I, I've, I, there's no rhyme or reason that I can figure out. Yeah, I mean, I think... That's, that's the mind. The mind can do like anything in a way. Any, anything that the mind can create, can imagine, it will create and imagine. It's, and we really see that in meditating and on retreats, you know, where the mind kind of isn't being, doesn't have a lot of external stimuli, so it just makes things up to entertain us. Yeah, exactly. and, and in some way, the most important thing is are we recognizing that? Are we recognizing this is just the mind doing something? And so it's more than the objects. It's always, is the mind aware that this is being known in this moment? Um, because, yeah, I mean, we have a whole world of, you know, and not that the, the creative part of the mind is just the creative part of the mind. And it's very entertaining as, you know, we can... You know, we can see. And so it's not good or bad. Um, it's just, it's interesting. And, and, you know, we can let it do everything it's going to do. Um, despicable thoughts and images, beautiful thoughts and images, like peace and, you know, or loving kindness, really. And, and we can recognize that some are more skillful than others. You know, what is the effect it has on the mind? Certain images, you know. So we can be interested in the whole thing. But, uh, Yeah. But it's just what it is, and that's in some ways the most important reflection is just that it's being known. Because we could spend, you know, there's a lot of other activities we can do in terms of nurturing that creative potential or, you know, a lot of different skillful things. In some ways, this practice specifically is training the part of the mind that recognizes moment by moment this is being known, this is being known, 
it's tracking the moment-to-moment manifestations and their effect, and then, and then we learn from that tracking. In some ways, yeah, anyways, I'll, I think I'll leave it there, but yeah, it's, it's, mine's great. I mean, you know, like, we, we don't even need entertainment. If, we, if we're really interested in our mind, I don't think we need entertainment. We can just sit down and learn. And, and the great thing is it's more relevant than entertainment because it's actually, uh, it matters what the mind's doing. And, and that's a little bit the theme I'll, I'll speak about is just the, the quality of the intentions behind, you know, even subtle movements of the mind. You know, what is it flavored with? What is the, you know, is, it, is the heart a little more open with that kind of thought or that kind of image or a little more closed? Yeah, thanks, Sherry. Yeah, Dan. I, I just want to dovetail on your question, but your response was so good. Now I feel like I don't, <laughs> I don't have much to add. So, I, but um, uh, that what you described is something that actually really bothered me for a long time while I meditated. In fact, I, I you know have things pop to mind. I don't know where they come from. It's some of it's disturbing, some of it's just weird, some of it's entertaining, it's to-do list, everything. But it, the, the more, you know, stuff that just has no context would pop in my mind, and it just really freaked me out. And I'd kind of shove it to the side and say, I don't know what to do with that. But I've noticed now, and this had maybe about a year and a half ago, I've, I've started to turn a corner on that, and I'm actually kind of friends with it now, which is really neat. And I can, um, sometimes it still spooks me, um, but I'm kind of like uh, willing to kind of investigate the feelings that immediately come after it. And there's, there's sometimes there's a little bit of feeling context for my own personal history there. But when they show up now, I'm just kind of like, whoa, wasn't that interesting? And I'm finding it a whole lot easier to go back to my meditation. And I think the big thing is, is that... Um, through my practice, I've become more or less friends with it, and it, and I don't have, I don't want to say guilt, but just that pressing, like, this isn't what I think I am type feeling. And I, that's, I, I, I think it's a confidence in meditation is really kind of what it comes down to. So I don't know if that, if that adds any context to this, but uh, just to let you know, I've had it, and I was spooked, and now I've seemed like I, I'm kind of friends with it now. So, Thanks, Dan. Yeah. We're just not as surprised the more we pay attention because we see the mind's really this creative machine. That's just what it does. And we see that any identification with the content of the mind, in some ways the mind is just baiting us moment after moment. It's not like we're going to sit down to meditate and the mind is just going to go quiet or, or just, you know give us um, neutral things. It's, you know, we're, we've trained our mind to be interested in what's juicy. And, and even if that's random, you know, if that's kind of what gets us, is like, oh, look at this random thing, or this doesn't make sense, anything to kind of provoke the mind. And that can all be interesting, and we could analyze that, you know, later, you know, what did that mean about my psychology and all that. But we're really in the context of meditation, like you're describing, we come to kind of put our trust in awareness 
and its ability to recognize this is something being known. And, and then it doesn't surprise us as much. It's not that we can't recognize, you know, oh, this, this is kind of a disturbing thought, this is more of a nice thought, you know, or even that the mind isn't sort of thinking or analyzing, oh, that's you know, understanding how things work. Um, but it's still something being known. And when the mind remembers that, it's not surprised, it's less pushed around by it. It's just stuff being known, it's just nature expressing itself. And the relevant thing is, how is the mind in this moment understanding and relating to that? You know, and, and like you were saying a little bit, I think, about the feelings behind it, you know, like the specific content, but is, the, is there greed in the mind? Is there aversion in the mind? Is there delusion in the mind, not knowing? Yeah, thanks for sharing. Any last thoughts before I well, share Well, I'm moving over to Steve. He's got a question, but I just wanted to comment yeah. in support of Sherry and with doesn't need any comment from you. I just want to say that Sherry, I too have always meditated with just my thoughts or what it was. But a few weeks ago, I was in a very small group meditation, and for some reason, the whole time I was just some imagery was just playing out, and it was so interesting. It never had happened before; hasn't happened since. But yeah, so that was I support you. Yeah, thanks for opening what apparently is a very rich topic, and Sherry for the the sharing. I just uh, was reminded when you said that, Sherry, about when my mind runs, um, and one of my brothers mentioned, too, the concept of meaning-making about the thought and making something out of it, and whatever that image is, my wanting it to do something and how important it must be, depending upon that emotional or that, I'll say that, that hook, that bait. And the only thing I've ever heard that really kind of helped ground me a little bit was the idea of what is it doing as far as, is it bringing me peace, is it bringing me, you know, is it bringing me frustration, am I angst about it or whatever? And then the only resolution that I kind of come with is this, and I think this comes with the five factors, of awakening, does it lead me to loving kindness? Does this thought lead me to um, the idea, or not the idea, the practice of um, wise action, or is it in the in the in the direction of of uh, deepening my practice, of deepening my understanding? And if it's not, it's just another one of them thoughts, and there it is again. And I don't have to pay as much attention, give it as much manna, much meat as I usually do. And, and um, mm-hmm. I'm not really good at it, <laughs> but I try. And so for me, I'm trying not to take too much of the juiciness of every thought because my mind just goes nuts, and I ruminate. And so uh, yeah. it's important for me to do what you were saying about just getting back to the point of seeing the thought as just a thought. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Steve. The Buddha described very similarly to what you just did in one discourse where he talks about dividing his thoughts into two categories, those that are basically beneficial, lead to well-being for himself and others, and those 
that, um, that lead towards suffering for himself and others. And after making that distinction, wisdom in the mind would abandon the one and cultivate the other. And this is a little bit of what I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, the intentions in the mind. And maybe to start with this quote um, from Sayadaw Tejaniya that the Buddha didn't tell us not to think, speak, or act, but that we should speak, think, and act with wholesome intentions. And I think just that, you know, is interesting in terms of a context for our practice because sometimes we can have a simplistic notion that that practice is about not thinking or somehow we have an idea of peace and we just imagine what we would be like if we were peaceful. <laughs> and, but it's, you know, this is a wisdom practice. And so that kind of, you know, in some ways analytical uh, exploration, investigation that Steve was describing is very much a part of practice that sort of categorizing. You know, another image used in the Buddhist teachings is mindfulness as a sentry or a guard at the gates. And it's just noticing who can come in and who can't. Or you know, rec- just recognizing the quality of the intentions behind our thoughts, our speech, our actions, because it really matters. And this is on the whole spectrum of our practice from being in the world and before we speak and act, are we aware of our intentions? And all the way to more subtly, you know, when we're meditating, are we actually interested in what the mind is doing and the intentions that are there? You know, if we have a meditation technique like being with the breath, are we just doing that because we think it's useful, or are we actually interested moment to moment, what's the intention the mind is making? You know, is it greed, or is it letting go of everything else? Simplicity, renunciation. The Buddha said the three intentions, um, three wholesome intentions that we could kind of categorize all of the wholesome intentions into these three non-harming or metta, or no, rather non-ill will, or, or metta, friendliness, kindness, good-heartedness, harmlessness, or compassion, and renunciation, letting go. So, it's interesting, like, I've, I've just been finding this a rich area of exploration in my practice and in my life. And there's really no end to it. And it's really always relevant in every moment, whether it's in meditation or in our lives, to be interested in the intention in the mind. And it's subtle, too. You know, we could think, okay, especially when we hear teachings like Saita uh, Tejaniya again saying that in every moment, the mind is either positive or negative. And so we could hear that and get tight, like, I have to watch every single stray thought that goes through my mind because it really matters. And it's true, it does really matter. 
every moment the mind is either setting in motion these wholesome intentions, letting go, kindness, non-harming, or the mind is setting in motion their opposite of harming, ill will, clinging. So it's really relevant. It's really interesting. There's no end to how refined we can be, how much we can learn in this area. And wherever our mind is at in any particular moment, we can still be interested, whether the mind is more refined and balanced, we can notice more subtle intentions. But it's also really useful, as I'm sure we can all attest to, to be aware of our intentions before we act and then before we speak. I mean, this is like not hard to understand the relevance and the importance of it. And, uh, and it's not about being perfect, because that actually is an unwholesome intention, <laughs> wanting to be perfect. It, it make, and by wholesome and unwholesome, other words, beneficial, unbeneficial, but basically it's not a moral judgment. It's something we, the, the mind sees for itself, this is, leading towards tension, towards tightness, or this is leading towards openness, connection. The Buddha recommended that we reflect on our intention before we act, while we're acting, and after we act. And um, I kind of read that as that point that we don't have to be perfect. That's not actually the point. You know, we can hear these teachings in a moralistic way and think, well, I just have to, you know, really be on my game and watch everything and not make any mistakes. But like I was saying earlier, that, that intention actually makes us tight. Um, but to actually be interested in that, you know, before we say something, while we're saying it, and I, I like that it like acknowledges that this is subtle. We're not going to get it every single moment. This is happening moment by moment. But but that valuing that is a wholesome intention, being interested in the quality of our intentions, interested enough to to look and see. I've been noticing around speech is a great, a great place to look at this intention in a more gross level. Just, and, and generally speaking, you know, because it matters, in some ways, the harm that we can do through acting or speaking on our intentions in some ways, we should pay more attention to that than our intentions while meditating. I mean, you know, it's all they, all, they support each other. You know, our meditation practice supports our ability to be skillful in life. But in terms of, you know, I'm sure we can all remember something we've done in our lives that, that uh, we regret and that still causes us pain when we remember it. So... 
So it really behooves us to, to pay attention. And um, I've been noticing sort of like as a hint, because it's really important, and, and because I know I'm not going to catch every intention, and trying to catch every intention just makes me tight. But, so like a hint for me is when there's a lot of energy around an intention, in, in terms of acting or speaking, when there's a lot of uh, energy, and like a lot of about to energy, like basically the mind gathering around an intention, an, an idea, an impulse. And to notice that, I mean, just generally, I would want to notice that when I'm about to do something. And as the Buddha recommended, I would want to, to just to check, you know, what is, what is the quality as best I can tell. But particularly, I sort of see it as a, a mindfulness spell when there's a lot of energy, and particularly when there's some sort of tightness or and, and but sometimes that masks as I really gotta do this, I really have to say this. So it's like that idea, and this is a bit I'm borrowing from a good teacher um, that I like a lot, Rebecca Bradshaw. She talks about this frequently, like when she feels that she really has to say something, like she has to say it now, that's a sign for her to check, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's subtle. Like the, the best I could do in thinking about this in terms of language was like, because sometimes it's, it's mixed. There's mixed intentions and it's not even clear. It's, you know, this isn't, I don't think of this as like necessarily a lot of thinking, like, oh, you know, I have this intention to do that, but is it compassion or is it, I don't know, let me weigh the pros and cons. It's more, I'm talking about like on a gut level. Like basically, I've just been noticing this around speaking and particularly around uh, when I feel the impulse to offer someone advice that they haven't asked for. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and I'm just really appreciating that I'm noticing that there's something in my gut that doesn't feel quite right. It's not quite settled. And so I just more and more now pause and check in with that. And, you know, is it compassion or am I just uncomfortable that they're suffering and I want to fix that? And, and again, you know, it's not about, this isn't necessarily, some, this isn't something I think about. That language just came sort of after the fact as I was sort of, but it's more just, you know, on an energetic level. Am I responding from this, or am I responding because I've taken a moment to pause, and, and as best I can tell, there's no red flags. In some ways, that's what I've been trying to do in, in my life. Like, really look out for the red flags. And honestly... <laughs> I, I just feel really grateful. Like, I feel like it's safe. And this is, you know, it's not like huge things, but just it saved me those, oh, like I shouldn't have done that. And it's just, you know, that feeling. It saves me that and it saves other people that. So, 
Yeah. But the thing is, we our mind has to be somewhat balanced to even tune in on this level. You know, this is relatively subtle. You know, we can sort of operate a lot on a more superficial level where we're still making decisions, but a lot of it is being guided by our ideas and our concepts, which are you know, either relatively informed and wise or not, trying to be a good person based on what we've learned or you know, doing what we do because it's just what we do. It's a habit, as opposed to the mind being sensitive enough in a moment to be discerning moment by moment the quality of the intentions. So as practitioners, that's actually mostly our responsibility isn't so much for thinking about, you know, the mind it will, you know, about, will see and, and wisdom will be able to discern the quality of our intentions, but that can only happen when the mind is more balanced. But it's also kind of a chicken and the egg because one, you know, the intentions that lead towards more balance um, are wholesome intentions. So they both support each other. But I guess my point here is that we don't have to do a lot of thinking or figuring out on this level. I mean, thinking is useful for a lot of things, but what I'm speaking about in terms of intention is that gut energetic level that we can sense into when the mind is more balanced. So this is why balance and calm, samadhi, as we use the Pali term, is so important. It sensitizes the mind to be able to pick up on these more subtle signals. Interesting, I think. I mean, it's interesting to me because it's my mind and you know my suffering or lack of suffering. But I'm what you might call a chronic worrier, and so that's a deep habit. And on a superficial level, you know, my mind is doing it. Must be doing it because it thinks there's some some benefit to it. But how often in my life have I actually tested that hypothesis in my direct experience? You know, and to be willing to do that, to be intimate with that experience, those impulses, I have to be willing to put down my certainty or the mind's certainty or that habit that this is a useful activity. And I think this is true in the whole range of our experiences. Wherever the mind has certainty, it stops paying attention in this moment-to-moment way. So all the ideas we have about life are maybe, have we tested all those hypotheses? You know. So this is kind of radical. In some ways, this is saying only we can know what's good or bad or what's useful or not useful because only we can be that intimate with our moment-to-moment unfolding. And it's, uh, it's actually not something we do or we decide that's good, that's bad, in terms of 
skillfulness, unskillfulness of intentions. It's more like touching a hot pan, the mind lets go when there's enough clarity. But if the mind isn't clear, we could be holding a hot pan for a while and burning ourselves. Yeah, I just saw this clearly as I was writing some thoughts yesterday. You know, saw worry come up, but there was some balance in the mind. And the mind just tasted, in a sense, the suffering and let go. And that's very different because my mind can also get caught in evaluating, you know, and that's the whole you know, function of worry is it kind of builds on itself and pros and cons and all of that. So it's very different than that. And it wasn't something I did. But I was really grateful because there was a confidence and a certainty in that direct scene. And again, it's not conceptual. I can describe it later with words, but it's just that intention arising. There's a contraction the mind lets it go because it hurts. It's that simple. So recognizing that, like in those in that moment, even though it was a very simple, brief moment, but the mind appreciated that because it, it, it just intuited that was in the direction of freedom in direction of, and in the direction of learning as well. Like that was one more data point of direct experience the mind is gathering that's undermining that habit of worrying, which is good for me and for others. So tuning into that, it's like goodness. I like that. I've been reflecting on that word, goodness. And, you know, again, it's hard to talk about these things because we have the tendency to to think in terms of like a moral judgment or good and bad. And then we, you know, get into, well, what is good and what is bad? But I just like that there's a, a naturalness to this path of the mind recognizing what's leading in a useful, beneficial direction and appreciating that. And in some ways we could describe the whole path of awakening as just that, the mind recognizing its attraction to goodness. And every moment that the mind recognizes that strengthens that. And we're willing to trust that more than all other of our cultural conditioning, psychological conditioning. Even that simple moment yesterday, there was something much more trustworthy than all of the, a lot of the thinking that I spent my day doing, trying to decide, you know. But... There's that when we when the mind recognizes, oh, this is good or this is peaceful, 
this feels good. I mean, in some ways, this path is a path of happiness, goodness, peace, bliss even. We're following that in our heart that wants to be free, that wants to be open, unburdened. And this practice of moment-to-moment checking on the intention is just that. That's how we move towards peace, is by recognizing peace when it's present and the supporting conditions and recognizing struggle, agitation when that's present and what's supporting that. But again, it's not judging that. It's not, it's being interested in that and even interested Interested because we care. So there's a heart quality there too. This is super relevant. This is the most relevant thing. Why wouldn't I be 100% interested? Now, when I say 100%, you know, we can notice if we get striving around that. But it's devotion. It's a love. It's, we're like, we love. <laughs> what do we love? What do we have trust in? You know? What are we willing to give our lives away to? And as much clarity, even if it's very small, when we, when we have that much clarity about, you know, oh, yeah, as far as I can tell, this intention to give my sister this gift is, you know, it makes me feel good. Why wouldn't I act on that 100%? So in some ways, we're just getting clear about intentions. Because if, we're, if we were clear moment to moment about what the mind was doing, you know, if the mind was in a balanced place, then the mind would just be learning very, very quickly. It would see, oh, yep, I can put that down. Oh, oh that feels really good. Oh, I'm going to settle into that. So it's just a matter of that the mind hasn't recognized completely clearly all the different intentions and that's because so often the mind is agitated and caught up and so it's it can't see clearly because it's it's just trying to stay afloat but that's okay because every moment however the mind is whatever state it's in can we tune into some wholesome quality that's there? And even the recognizing an unwholesome quality that's there, like, oh, there's a lot of agitation. But recognizing that is a wholesome intention. So I kind of like this metaphor of like investing. We all have some interest in awakening, peace, openness, and it's just a matter of recognizing that and appreciating that in whatever moment we're in, are we tuned into that fact that this mind wants to be free and it's relevant to be interested in what's happening in this moment, because this is the only moment, from that place of loving interest. So part of this is sort of describing like this is a 
This isn't a rote practice that we just do. It's like we're we're learning, we're thinking in a way. You know, we are we are thinking. Not you know, that's we're not just thinking, we're also observing directly. And we're we're investing what we know. There's one teacher, Rodney Smith, who said, Do what you know. So we've all you know, we all have some intuition. You know, generosity seems to work better than stinginess. Openness seems to work better than closeness. So as best we can, we recognize that. We do that. I like this because it means that we're not just going to wake up. We're not just going to practice a lot and then wake up the next day and be like, oh, yeah, I'm more awake and more free now. We're going to see it happen. If we're really there, moment by moment, it only happens when we see it happen. So whatever it is, however the mind is, why not be interested in that? That is the mind. That is the most relevant thing. And it's okay. It's not personal. It's just our mind doing its thing. It's interesting. Interest. Yeah. So I'll leave it there so we have some time to hear from each other. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, yeah, so thoughts from, from your practice, seeing intention in subtle ways, more gross ways. Yeah, Lewis, you want to start us off? Uh, this was uh, very stimulating, brought up a lot of thoughts. And one of the things that kept coming up for me is that I think our personalities have a real role in how we experience or do practice. And there's just so much at play. Um, Because I kept thinking about, well, my personality uh, causes me to pay attention to some things more than others. And there's a way where each of us, as we sit, walk, breathe, and go about life, there's stuff passing through our consciousness that can come from anywhere because we're very connected to the environment, the entire universe. So anything can come up. And uh, I was very aware of the fact that I was born in the middle of the 20th century in a brown male body in an urban environment. Um, and that put in place uh, a whole lot of experiences um, that for me in particular, I think, uh, let's see, it's something about having internalized a lot of negative ideas, a lot of what they call uh, internalized oppression, And my practice has caused me to find bits and pieces of that in corners of myself. And the tendency is to want to make judgments about myself or uh, the social political environment that I'm in that can trigger a lot of different emotions, like rage, for instance. So being skillful 
to me, has something to do with um, having respect for how I am deeply connected to, I guess I'll call it the natural world, the flow of things, seasons and cycles, and how everything is uh, inter- intricately interconnected and there's some kind of amazing genius about how all of this fits together and when we get stuck it's mostly a matter of being in denial about the ebb and flow and cycles and getting in the way and wanting to hold on you know you talked about uh clinging uh just asking yourself to be more aware of when you're clinging can actually help you be aware of that when it happens. Just having the intention, asking yourself the question. Um, so thank you. That was mm. Thanks, very Lewis. useful. Time for one more. Yeah, Chaya. Sometimes I um, try to figure out you know, what is clinging and what is interest? Because, like, I've been having a thought a lot lately, this one specific thought that's kind of troubling, the thought, um, but also really calming the thought. And it's like I want to, you know, i trying to say to myself, well, you don't need to hang on to that thought. And then it's like, well, but aren't you interested in that thought? So how do you... How do you distinguish and how do you let go just because, I mean, sometimes maybe a thought's really important to to um, examine for a while, you know, to see if that thought is is telling you something else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Yeah, what I do is I, first of all, try to admit and be honest that I don't actually know what to do. Yeah. And then I'm willing to be humble and pay attention in a more direct way instead of trying to figure it out. I guess what I mean is, you know, I, you know, in like, in a, you know, I can really relate to something like that. Well, Buddhism says I shouldn't be attached. Well, but, you know, this, you know, could be useful for people. That's what I mean. Thinking about it, because. That, in my experience, doesn't usually leave me very satisfied with whatever answer I come up with. But you know what I, like what I was describing with that moment where the mind recognized worrying, hurt, and let go, that felt really trustworthy. And that's really, I mean, I spend you know a lot of my time in that conceptual world and just kind of bouncing around, but but I really more and more I'm inspired and, and try to orient towards really being honest that I don't know. And, you know, I don't, basically I don't know how to be happy because if I did, I would be happy all the time. And so I'm really willing to, to just be a, a, a beginner and be a learner. And that means moment to moment being interested and... And that there's actually, like, part of it, you know, it's that there is some feedback that I do trust. 
and it's subtle. Like the best I could do is like my gut, and and an, an energy and relaxing and peace and openness and love, and yeah. So that, but but basically, you know, in those moments where I don't know what to do, that seems to be a, an important starting point to acknowledge that I I don't actually know and. And that I don't have to know because it's that that's clinging, wanting to know, thinking I thinking, I mean having that view that somehow I should know the moral bent of the universe and how it applies to this situation. I should have clarity about that. That's delusion. So so to be willing to um, Yeah. Yeah, well part of it, yeah, letting go of that and then we can actually be aware and and be interested and not have to be for or against, but just see how it unfolds. See what we do and be willing to learn, basically. Thanks, yeah. So we need to leave it here. Thanks, everybody. Great to be with you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.